Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. I want to just pause for a moment. If you watched the debate last night between President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, if you're like me, well, you're, you know, I know you're like me in some ways, and I know that you're not like me in other ways. So I'll just go ahead and confess. I, I tend to watch and listen for the thread lines, the trend lines, the references to God or God talk, right? I am particularly interested in uh, not only... The political worldview of the candidates for president, I'm I'm actually interested in their like moral fiber. I'm interested in how they make their decisions, how they um, use language. Uh, and so the casual references made to God or the sort of throwaway God talk language that often gets used, it's bothersome to me. Like I it bothers me. I don't like to see um, words about God or God directly referenced in ways that are casual or sarcastic or I mean, I just I'm just not a fan of that because I am highly sensitive to uh, God's holiness and the way we are called, not only called to regard him, but the way our heart should beat with a desire to glorify him and honor him and not to just, you know, use his uh, use his name, which, you know, is ineffable. You can't even speak it if you're uh, if you're Jewish, like right. You can't even say it. Um, and so the the holiness, the reverence. That's always you know one of the things that I'm looking for. So, uh, God and God talk did not figure largely in last night's debate. Uh, why? Why don't we? Why don't we talk more about um, God in public or godliness? Well, because it's frankly not an issue for American voters. That is that is the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Uh, and I think that's an issue. The fact that it's not an issue for most voters is actually an issue. Uh, God did make his way uh, or find his way into at least one headline this morning related to last night's debate. Oh, well, I should I should circle back around because some of you are saying to yourselves, why? Um, why should it matter that God gets so little direct attention Um why are issues of God and godliness so rare in public discourse, and why does Carmen think that matters? Well, it's not an issue for most voters, and that's an issue because no matter what the issue is, God is the issue. God is always the issue behind every issue. So if, you're, if you have a concern about something, God is the one that's really behind the issue. It, the, the, the question of whether or not a person is entering into uh, thoughts and then conversation and then action related to a particular issue is ultimately driven by how they view God. It, it, it just is. Um, it's the, it is the operating system behind which, under which everything else is happening. And so it is an issue uh, that God is not getting direct attention 
in our public discourse or our civil discourse or our political discourse, because God is ultimately the issue behind every issue. So what's at issue is God. All right. So um, circling back to one headline where God did find his way this morning into one post-debate conversation. So the Washington Post has this headline this morning. Mute button was a godsend. It also amplified candidates' differences. Now, yes, I know. The author of the piece, nor the writer of the headline, was actually thinking about God, the real God, the true God, when they included the term godsend. But it rings my bell as a Christian. I read the headline, and I see G-O-D. I see it in there. Do you see it in there? Does it catch your attention? Does it provoke you to think? Does it make you wonder, hmm, godsend? What did God send? What has God sent? What's God sending now? So what did God send? Well, God sends, has sent every good and perfect gift. It comes down from the Father of Lights. We had an extended conversation with Junius Johnson about this just recently. That, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. God has sent it. God sends rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God sends it. God sent, well, I don't know, Jesus. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about what has God sent, who has God sent, God has sent Jesus. That's a godsend. So I know, I know, I know. That is not at all what the author of this piece in the Washington Post nor the headline writer meant when they included the word godsend uh, in reference to the mute button, mic mute button. But it's our job. It's my job. It's your job as the people of God to help other people see what they're missing, to point out that throwaway word and to redeem its meaning, to say there's a depth and a breadth and a reality to what God has sent that's beyond what you have bothered to imagine. God, there is a godsend, and God has sent some stuff. And God has actually sent a guy, not just any guy, Jesus. So hope and love and truth and forgiveness and sacrifice and beauty and redemption and grace, on and on and on. Those are all theological categories. They're all cosmic realities. They're worthy of our attention. And we are the people who know the Father of lights. And we are the people who now God has sent. What's the godsend today? Who's the godsend today? You! You are the godsend today. He is sending you. All right, Adam Holtz is waiting in the wings from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. He's going to give us some thoughts on hmm, what to watch, what not to watch, what we're watching, what we can't watch, on and on and on. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. You are a godsend. You are a godsend too. I was. I know. I'm thinking this should be Paul our greeting to one another. I know that you know. I I deeply appreciate your combination of exhortation and prophetic focus on what is true. Because I'm telling you what, Carmen, we're living in a world where Everybody thinks they're God, but they're not. So good mm. words. Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, okay, so we have all kinds of things to cover today. I we have do. a list of at least five things to review with you. Um, right. Which one do you want to start with? Oh, boy. Why don't we start with Over the Moon? How's that sound? Got it. 
That sounds great. I'd like to go over the moon. What am, am I over the moon about over the moon? Uh, maybe <laughs> halfway there. Where's that? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll stop trying to be clever because when you try, it doesn't work very well. Um, over the moon is an animated movie that is streaming on Netflix today. And as many of your listeners probably know, China is an increasingly big part of the global movie market, and we're seeing more and more stories that emphasize either Chinese characters or Chinese ideas. And this is both of them. Like pretty much most of the well-known Asian American actors and actresses in this country are voice actors in this movie. So what's it about? This is a movie that plunges deep into Chinese mythology and we are introduced to a goddess named Chunga, and Chunga is basically the lunar goddess. She's the goddess of the moon, and she was supposed to have a, an eternal happily ever after with the man she loved, which was a guy named Ho Yi. Uh, they both had immortality pills. She ended up with both of them. He didn't have any. He died. She's still alive, and her grief is the explanation for what's going on with the moon and its cycles. So it's sort of a creation-ish kind of story. So Chugga is presented as uh, like the Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, you know, something that it's a kid's story, but you outgrow it pretty quickly. Um, but we meet a, a girl named Feifei who is a true believer in Chunga, and she has lost her mom. She's grieving. She's disoriented, and she's upset with her father's response to things that are happening in life. And she is deeply distressed that he doesn't believe in Chunga anymore. So she does what any good true believer would do. She builds a rocket ship. She gets a spacesuit for herself and her bunny. And she goes to the moon to prove that Chunga is, of course, still real and still cares about them. Um, this is a pretty interesting movie in that there are lots of connection points, I think, to have a deeper conversation than you would normally have about all kinds of things. I mean, this is a movie about grief and loss and change. Uh, and I think uh, is a, a pretty good springboard to conversation on those issues. But I think that there's also potentially a conversation here about our longing for transcendence. Obviously, it's couched in a completely different worldview, but I, I, think, it's, I think it's totally navigable here. Uh, but why do we long for a relationship with God? And here we have a very earnest young believer who is grieved at her father's unbelief. That's a pretty interesting premise. Again, it's not couched in a Christian framework, but, but why do some people long for God and they are distressed that others don't, whereas other people, they, you know, couldn't care less whether God exists or not. So interesting film on Netflix and not too many content issues other than you know, we've got a totally different worldview. But as I said, I think I think that's pretty navigable here. Well, and I think the conversation about whether or not I'm genuinely concerned that other people don't believe, don't know God is a that is a primary conversation that we can have um, yeah. with people at all ages and stages. I mean, maybe I don't really care that other people are going to hell. Right. I mean, no, that's, that's that exactly is the ultimate right. question, right? I mean, and, and, and I mean, so, I, I get it. I get it that she's not, you know, that this is not a Christian movie. But I do think we, we have to, as Christians, recognize that culture hands us some things that provide uh, conversation starters and, and 
places where we can ha- enter yep. into conversations with other people. It doesn't have to be an expressly Christian film for you to use right. it as a Christian in conversations with others about things that matter. So I really right. appreciate the review and you highlighting those particular um, things. All right. Um, Adam Holtz and I have to take a very brief break when we come back. I don't know. We're going to do another review, whichever one he picks next. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can read the reviews we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. All right, Adam, where do you want to go next? Oh, I got, you know what? I got when, when last we spoke, The Trial of Chicago 7, Rebecca, The that Witches. One. The, uh, which one? Trial of Chicago 7. Go. So um, I have no idea. I just don't. Is, you know, this is, this is where I am just ignorant uh, on the media headlines of the day. I, I don't well, have any idea what this is about, so go. Here's why I want to talk about it. Uh, this is a movie that uh, focuses on a period of time that feels like a long time ago, but is pretty relevant today. Uh, this focuses on the trial of seven progressive activists who were accused of inciting violence at the 1968 Democratic Convention. And uh, it's uh, directed by Aaron Sorkin, who, of course, people may know from The West Wing. You may not agree with his politics, but the guy knows how to he knows how to write and he knows how to tell a story. Uh, and probably the name that people are most familiar with here is Abby Hoffman, who was really a, an agitator during that period of time who used humor and who understand who understood the role of the media. he He knew how to get attention focused on him. Uh, so, this is an R-rated movie that we don't normally spend a lot of time talking about R-rated movies, uh, mostly for some sexual references, for some violence uh, in the riots, uh, and for quite a bit of language. Um, but I think for adults, this is one that is maybe worth considering just as one person's take on where we were at as a culture in 1969 and 1970 uh, and, I, you know, this is going to be a progressive perspective. It's sympathetic to uh, to these people's voices and the arguments that they were making. But I, I think, you know, we can also see how some of the issues of that time period are still in play today. Uh, and so I think that there is still value here, even if you, it may be coming from a perspective that you don't agree with. And there's a really interesting article on thegospelcoalition.org by Brett McCracken, and he talks about Abby Hoffman's infotainment insight. Uh, And I won't unpack it in detail other than to say I really appreciated McCracken connecting these dots because he talks about how the blend of politics and showmanship and entertainment is so much more prevalent today than it was back then, but that Abby Hoffman in a way uh, was a, a lower P prophet uh, in terms of understanding how those things would come together in our public discourse. So uh, in some ways, the article might be more interesting than the movie itself. You may not even need to watch the movie after you read the article, but check that out over on thegospelcoalition.org. I love Brett McCracken. He's just, I do too. He's a good, he's a good, good guy. Okay. Yep. Um, can, um, good grief, Charlie Brown. I realize this is not yeah. a review. It's a headline, no. but um, okay. This, it, I, I, I want to be able to watch Charlie Brown. This is disturbing yeah, well, to me. Going to have to pay now. I mean, 
what what's happening in our land and our world of different what's streaming going on services in the world is that every franchise that has any cultural value at all is being gobbled up it's being allocated somewhere and in this case apple tv has purchased the rights to the the holly the holly the holiday specials i almost said holly brown the charlie brown <sighs> holiday specials uh, you know, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which maybe we will now have to call the great apple, Charlie Brown, uh, the Thanksgiving and Christmas specials, which have aired every year since 1966. So, I mean, we're looking at what, 54 years of tradition of things you just take for granted. And and I think if there's a takeaway here, it's that in this new media age, uh, wherever there's value, somebody is going to pay for it to have it all to themselves. But this one feels a little bit like Lucy snatching the football away before Charlie can kick it because I don't have Apple TV. And as much as I like Charlie Brown, I'm not going to pay a subscription mm-hmm. cost just for that. And so, you know, maybe a moment no, of silence. No, I'm going to do something super naughty and go and, like, you know, buy a copy, right? I'm sure I can buy right? it on a DVD, right? And then exactly. I'm going to put up a big giant sheet. And I'm going to broadcast it so that other people, I mean, like, right? Like, I'm, you're like, people should have access. It's Charlie Brown. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This, I don't get outraged about very many things, but I'm, I'm kind of upset about this. Uh, I am too. And I actually think, uh, I don't think this is a, a net positive for Apple. It just makes no. them look kind of uh, mean. grinchy to me. Yes. <gasps> Apple the Grinch. Mm-hmm. There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Uh, okay, when uh, when we last spoke, have you had an opportunity to review it? When we last spoke, no, I have not. Okay. I just got the screener this week. It looks like a it's your assignment. You know, it's a poignant uh, family drama about two sisters who are. Uh, it looks like their mother dies or their father dies. Their mom runs off and their father dies, and they grow up and they have a life and they reflect on that life. So this is going to be, uh, Melissa Gilbert is in it. Uh, and it will be in uh, fathom. It's a fathom event, theatrical thing, Tuesday through Friday next week. So I'm only saying that because by the time we talk about it next week, the window to see it will be almost closed. So our review should be up probably Monday or Tuesday. All right, cool. Uh, when, when we last spoke, a lot of people seemingly excited about it. So I just thought I would tee it up as well. All right, Adam Holtz, thank you so much. As always, you guys can check it all out at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. So when you think about yourself, when you think about the way you see yourself, describe yourself, present yourself, When you think about yourself, do you primarily look in, look out to others, or look up to God? That's really the question being provoked by Trevin Wax's new book, Rethink Yourself. A conversation with Trevin up next. This is Max Locatum. Christians love to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Blind. Blind to the promise of eternal life. Blind to the provider of life. We relate to the words of the was blind beggar. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. 
His story is our story. Perhaps that's why John was in no hurry to tell it. He needed only 12 verses to describe how water became wine, but he dedicated a whopping 41 verses to depicting how Jesus found and cured and matured the blind man. Now why? Among the explanations is this one. What Jesus did physically for the blind beggar, he desires to do spiritually for all people to restore our sight. Remember, my friends, you are never alone. This is Max Licato. Trevin Wax. He is the Senior Vice President of Theology and Communications at Lifeway Christian Resources. Um, And I just learned, reading his bio, that he's a former missionary to Romania. So I'm leading off with that question. Trevin Wax, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Good to be with you again. It's great to be with you. I didn't know that you'd been a missionary in Romania. I did. I was uh, actually 20 years ago last month. I bought a one-way ticket as a 19-year-old and uh, lived in Romania for five years, met my wife there. We had our first son during that period of time, did mission work in villages around the, the city where I lived in and in um, different churches that had need, and uh, did my undergrad at a Christian university there. So wonderful experience. Do you know Chelsea patterson Sibolic in D.C.? I have met her a couple of times, actually, okay. yes. And so she was born in Romania. Do you guys have this? Okay, you've already shared this little content. You've already made that connection. I um, just, you know, as the Lord would have it, I was actually on a mission trip in Romania in December of 2000. So it's possible we were actually there at the same time. That would be amazing. I'd love to hear more details about where you were uh, because stunning. it is stunning. possible the whole that thing. we ran into each other. Who knows? Stunning experience. Totally, uh, totally. Yeah, it was amazing. Okay, we're not talking about that today, though. We'll have to find another time to talk about that. Today, we're talking about your brand new book, Rethink Yourself. All right, so the power of looking up before looking in. Um, Just talk about the motivation to present this book at this particular time, uh, because this topic, the topic of the self, not only how I see myself, but how right. I sort of define and represent myself in the world. Um, you know, we are in a selfie time. So this is a good, good subject matter content. Talk about the the timing of this and um, and then just give us an overview of the content. Well, well, one of the things that as I, I look out over our culture here in the in North America, uh, predominantly, I there are lots of assumptions that we make about what the purpose of life is that we don't think to question. You know, you go to a graduation ceremony and what are you going to hear? You're going to hear messages like, uh, you know, you need to be true to yourself, follow your heart, chase your dreams. You know, no matter what anyone else tells you, you are, you are the one who determines your destiny. You're the one who defines yourself. And that's just kind of common sense wisdom for many of us in North America. And I think even for many people who are in church today, a lot of people go to church not because they're necessarily seeing God as the center of everything and they want to revolve their lives around him and his purposes for them. A lot of people go to church because they think God is going to help them do what I just talked about, be true to themselves, follow their heart, become a better person. Whatnot. And so it's sort of like God is on the periphery and they're really at the at the center. And so what I wanted to do in this book was to to help people uncover some of those assumptions that they may never have questioned before, uh, to show them what those are, to say, look, you may think that the purpose of life is to look in deep inside yourself, discover your deepest desires, 
and then express that self to the world. But that's not the way that most people around the world look at the purpose of life. A lot of other people in other parts of the world look first around at other people for the community to help them understand who they're going to be and what their role is. And it's not the way the Bible talks about what the purpose of life is, which counterintuitively has us looking up before in, looking up to God's design, letting God be the one who defines us, God be the one who uh, determines our destiny. And we find ourselves, we come into, we, we become our truest selves in relation to him and in relation to the salvation he has uh, bought for us through Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, it's it absolutely is such a helpful way of entering into not only a conversation with, like, right, yourself about how um, how you're operating in the world and viewing things, but it's a great way of entering into conversation with others, um, yes. you know, because you can just say, OK, let's just, you know, let's just talk about this. Like, am I, is God the primary foundation, basis, starting point? place I'm looking, one I'm turning to, the one out of which I'm operating in the world, or is God kind of ancillary to all of that? Do I kind of like go to him when I want something or bounce something off? You know, it it is, it's just great. And I think that most people, to be honest, are defined more by the culture, the water they're living in, the culture around us, the looking out uh, part versus the looking up. I mean, I just, it, it, you've broken it down with such clarity. You've asked the questions in a way that are helpful and understandable. Um, I just really, really appreciating this book. Again, the book is Rethink Yourself. Trevin Wax is the author. Uh, we actually have complimentary copies uh, to give away if you'd like to enter the drawing to receive one of those. You just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Trevin, talk about the role of social media. Um, we just talked earlier with Chris Martin, and um, we are in, a, in this ongoing conversation about, you know, how we present ourselves in, you know, in the social Internet, the social media environment. But how we're formed and shaped by it is really pretty astonishing. So um, talk with us about the role of social media in this conversation. Yeah, well, Chris Martin is a, is really a, got, has a lot of expertise in this matter. I've learned a lot from him over the the years that we've been able to work together. Uh, one of the things that that I think social media does with this idea that the purpose of life is to look inside yourself, to discover yourself, and to express yourself, social media helps you with the expressing part because it helps you put on. People just feel like they're constantly on display, and because people are you know putting online a persona they're able to, they have this idea that we can constantly reinvent ourselves, you know, that we can, we, we determine the kind of person that we want other people to see. And so, and we can sort of design the personality of the, uh, you know, that we want others to, to, to see on display from us. So what, what's fascinating about this though, is there's a, there's a level of anxiety that arises from this because we're, we're constantly performing. We're just performing all the time. And you see this in the in the statistics right now about mental health among young people, uh, they're they're never off. You know, they're the the social game is always being played. Uh, but you also see that our all of the compliments and uh, uh, comments and things that happen online, they begin to ring a little bit hollow, because you know the the compliments we may initially feel good about how many likes we got on a post or how many people said we look great or that this was great or whatever or gave us a compliment. But because we feel like the person we're putting out online is not exactly who we are, that no one knows the real us, that it's something of a facade, 
a lot of those compliments just begin to ring hollow. They become superficial. And so our friendships become shallower. And uh, I, I say in the book that there are two types of friendship. The older type of friendship had an affirmation component and an aspirational component, meaning the old friend would affirm you for no matter what you went through, but would also, there was a, they wanted you to aspire to be the best version of yourself. So they would tell you the truth about yourself. You know, they, they sometimes say, they wouldn't just flatter you. They would, they, they would help you become the, the person that you're called to be the best version of yourself. And so they would correct you at times or, you know, try to take you down a different path if they saw you were going astray or something. Well, in today's world with the social media environment we're talking about, where there's a lot of negativity online and bullying and all sorts of stuff, I think that that um, aspirational side has really slipped. And now we just expect total affirmation from friends. In fact, a lot of times we expect friends to celebrate even our flaws, even our failures, mm -hmm. to tell us even those are beautiful. And so I, I think that makes for a shallower, more lonely world, actually. Um, and it leads us to become more fragile to where we're not actually able to look in the mirror and do what, you know, I hope people will do with it. We read the book, rethink ourselves. I'm going to continue my conversation with Trevin Wax about the book, Rethink Yourself. If you are interested in entering the drawing for the complimentary copies we have in studio from our friends at B&H, uh, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. So we talk a lot on this program about cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day in order that we might be able to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. Trevin Wax is actually addressing that topic uh, in his book, Rethink Yourself. He is joining me now for an ongoing conversation about the book. We do have copies to give away. Uh, if you are interested in entering the drawing for those, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Trevin, I want to turn with you to page 143, um, because once I have uh, gone through the process of the rethink the self, right, and I have arrived at the um, acknowledgement that I am best defined <laughs> by God and not by myself or by the world around me, um, then I begin to rethink everything else. And so the right. rethinking the world, um, where we start with this, there's a lot of rethinking going on in the Bible. Most of it comes from rethinking the world in light of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. You're talking here about worldview. You're talking about where am I standing when I then look at everything else? And if I'm standing at the foot of the cross, it changes my perspective of everything else. Uh, cultivating the mind of Christ means I'm going to get a new mind. Becoming a Christian, I'm going to get a new heart. I'm going to become a new self. The, the New Testament talks a lot about the old self and the new self. Um, and so I really appreciated that where you're taking us here is the cultivation of the new self. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that um, the, the whole New Testament actually is designed to cultivate in us virtues by the power of the Spirit for us to look more and more like Jesus. And so here's, we got it. We, we have to, as Christians, we have to remember what the end goal is or what the promise is for us at the end of time. Um, it's not like some other religions where our personhood would be sort of merged into this great, vast, um, you know, um, non-personal force in the world or where our personhood would be obliterated in some way or we would cease to exist or at least as any, in any meaningful sense as a person. 
the Bible's vision of personhood is that God has created us in his image and that he has redeemed us by his son. And so the end goal that we are striving for is, is this. And I don't know exactly how this is going to work out for every person, but it's glorious to think about it, Carmen. Uh, all of us who are believers are promised to, at the end of time, be as much like Christ as possible and as much ourselves as possible. Meaning that who we truly are, who God has designed us to be, is not in conflict with our Christ-likeness. It's going to be compatible with our Christ-likeness. And so what does that mean for us today? Well, it means today that we are to cultivate the kind of life where everything that is not like Christ is to be put to death, and everything that is like Christ is to be magnified and pursued. And what that, but that, that's going to look different for every individual person because God is not in the business of destroying our uniqueness. He wants to have millions and millions of unique images of His Son Jesus Christ. That is what that's what what we are are called to be. And so, the the Bible is really clear on this, and the Bible also is counterintuitive because it, you know, Jesus is the one who says. Unlike the world, you know, we, in, in the world, we've got these statistics showing that, you know, 90% of Americans say that to find yourself, you look inside yourself. Jesus is saying, no, to find yourself, you have to lose yourself, you know, um, deny your cross, come after me, but not so that you basically will just endure a life of suffering. But so on the other side of that cross bearing, you experience your greatest joy in being who God has called you to be in fulfilling the design for the purpose for which he made you. And the, the, the most glorious aspect of who, of who you are in a Christ-like fashion are going to be magnified and are going to be um, uh, on display for others to see. I just, um, my heart is singing right along with you as you, um, as you talk about this. Just yesterday, um, my husband, Jim, was just, he was just kind of reveling in the moment. And, you know, he said, it's just, it's just astonishing to even pause long enough to consider that we are designed to share in the glory of Christ. Right. Right. Now, you know, we don't get there on our own. We don't get there by being the best version of ourselves. We don't get there by our own efforts. Like we only get there because right now we are not only in Christ, but agreeing to cooperate moment by moment with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. I mean, God is doing it. He is making me more and more like Christ that I will be able to not only enjoy his presence, but share in his glory. That is, that is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing, and it's world-altering, and it's life-changing. And it, it then creates this fantastical, substantive hope in which I can live right now amidst whatever is going on. Yeah, and it also gives you hope for other people because yeah. I don't know about you, but I mean, you look at your husband or, you know, you look at your kids or you look at friends or people around you that have disappointed you or maybe that, you know, you've, you've got a, uh, you're having a difficult time with your spouse or whatnot. One of the things that you can do is to look at that other person. If they're a believer in Jesus Christ, then they have the same destiny that you have, which means that there is a most Christ-like version of themselves that one day they will be completely glorified. Now, I won't be on this side of heaven, but one day that person will be there. And if, when you see glimpses of that, when you see little pieces of that, then you begin to put together and to say, look, you know what? I know that there's other stuff here in my own life that we've got to root out, that I've got to fight against, that I have to put to death. But I'm looking by the power of the Spirit to that glorious future. And it helps me, you know, when I think about, you know, challenges that you have with your kids or with people around you that, 
may frustrate you at times to say, you know what, this isn't the best version of themselves, but I already have a glimpse. I've seen the spirit at work. I've seen evidence of grace of this person's life. I know what their future is, and I'm going to do whatever I can to to help them uh, grow toward that future as well, just like I need them to help me grow to that future. It, it really does change not only our vision of ourselves, but also our relationships with those closest to us. All right. Ideas have consequences. It's not just how I think about myself or think about others. It's actually then how I put those thoughts into words and deeds. Talk about uh, the retraining of self that comes after the rethinking of self. Yeah. So the last chapter of this book focuses a lot on habits. And, you know, habits are getting a lot of discussion lately. There's some some popular books out there, secular books on just the impact of, of habits. And and I, I agree with the, the thrust of most of those books, because I think uh, we are formed not just by what we think, by what we do. We are. We, what we do really does matter. And so what, I, what I'm doing at the end of the book, and, uh, you know, I'm talking about different disciplines, you know, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, um, church attendance, uh, community, all sorts of things that actually do have a formative influence in our lives. But I'm also pointing the way for people to think, what are the, what are the habits that are influencing you that you don't realize? Um, and, and how can you subvert some of these formative influences from the world uh, with with better influences, with better habits that are going to change you over time into the kind of person that you're going to be. To give an example, Bible reading. Uh, you know, a lot of times people go to the Bible reading and they think of, you know, they pull out their app or whatever that, or they have a little devotional. They may have, you know, a verse that gives them inspiration for the day. Uh, that's good. I, I think that's really good. Uh, I think it's good for people to be in the Word no matter how they're in the Word. Uh, but a lot of times I think we go to Scripture for inspiration, but we, we may miss the opportunity to really be challenged or for the Scriptures to step on our toes. We don't necessarily take bigger bites. So what what does it say, for example, if someone says, you know what, I'm going to develop the habit that before I, before I uh, um, uh, turn on my phone in the morning or get on social media or Facebook or check email or whatever, I'm going to go to my Bible first every morning. I'm going to, I'm going to sit here's what, maybe you got a Bible reading plan or whatnot. I'm going to soak in this for 15, 20 minutes before I do anything else. Not in a legalistic, Hey, I can't check my phone or anything kind of way, but just in the, in the sense of, I want to be the kind of person that starts off my morning with substance pointing me to God as a center of all things. And when I go to my phone, my phone tells me I'm the center of all things, right? Cause my apps are all tailored to me. My Facebook feeds or whatever it is I'm reading that there, all of those algorithms are, are tailored to me as Chris Martin would say, you know, what, what am I going to do to counter that influence? that tells me that I'm the center of the world with a different message and but extensive Bible reading, um, you know, adding that even if it's 10 minutes, you know, just adding that to your day and say, that's going to be the first thing. I think that ha- over time will have a formative effect. It, it won't feel like a lightning bolt of inspiration every day. You know, it's not like God is going to just thunder from heaven every single time. But I, I look at it like this. I mean, how many of us remember exactly what we had for lunch three weeks ago today? Yeah, Probably or yesterday. Not. Yeah, yeah, no. or, yeah, or yesterday. Yeah, but did it sustain us? Mm-hmm. Did it keep us yeah, going? Yeah, it got me yeah. through to today. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's right. And that's how, the, that's how Bible reading is. It's we, we, we come to God's word. We're nourished by it. Not every time is a steak dinner or a feast where we just walk away thinking, boy, I just really felt the presence of the Lord today. But it's still nourishing. It's still transformative. And over time, it changes us into the kind of person who's going to be more like Jesus. 
You are um, you are singing. We are singing off the same page. Uh, I ask my audience nearly every day, where in the word are you? And I insist that people be in the word before they get out there into the world. So, Trevin Wax, thank you uh, so much for what you do each and every day at Lifeway. Uh, Thank you for this contribution to the conversation. The book is Rethink Yourself. If you are interested in a copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Trevin, I hope hope you'll come back. Thank you so much, Carmen. Great to be with you. Delight to have you. We'll be right back. All right. I do love um, how much encouragement you guys give me on the text line uh, and all of the ideas that you uh, that you include therein. Um, just remember, you can always communicate with me via email, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can get today's podcast and share it with someone else at MyFaithRadio.com. Hey, have a great weekend. Go be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.